I received her letter recently that I'd like to share with you. It says, Dear Mr. Riley, I know I'm in trouble whenever I receive one of those. Congratulations. You are among the preferred select few approved for our most prestigious credit card. I like that. I'm preferred. I'm prestigious. I am in a select few. I'm in the money. I can hear it now. So I read on. This is customized to meet all of your needs. Enjoy spending all you want. You have set the standard higher, and there's only one Visa Platinum that meets your needs. You deserve it. And I do. Or so it's easy to think. Well, imagine, I'd like to send this letter to you, but I know you'll never receive it. Dear Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so, congratulations. Yes, it's true. Think about it. All the financial power and prestige you can't handle because our culture says you need more. Therefore, we want to give you the opportunity to get more. Sure, it will add stress to your life, a little pressure on your marriage, force you to work more hours, take time away from your kids, make you stay awake at night. But wait, that's not all. There's so many other things that can happen in your marriage and in your life. So act now and send in your pre-approved application before you think twice about the possibility of drowning in a sea of debt for years to come. Instead, promote your image, prove your worth and value, and live for the moment as you mortgage your financial future. It is our joy to mass uh, serve you. One year, I, was, uh, I knew I was going to do a financial series, Creekside, and I said, I'm going to save all of the credit card appeals that I get. In 10 and a half months, Trina and I received 245. And, um, and, and obviously, I had to do some work and write to these people and say, please don't send any more. I just got tired of it. Well, if you're a guest today, I want to welcome you and thank you for being here. Um, <clears throat> and you're wondering, uh, and I say this every week, and I'll say it every week because we always have new people coming. You're thinking, I come to church on a Sunday, and they're going to talk about money. And we are. But we've been talking about it for a couple of weeks already. We're going to talk about it for a couple more because I believe that the Scripture is very clear. Over 2,000 places it talks about money and possessions. And it isn't because God's into your money and into your pocket. More importantly, he's into you growing up. And you know what? When Jesus said, I come, that you might have life and have it abundantly. When he said, really it means, I came to give life to the full. It is not about you having a lot of good things, like some preachers will try and tell you. It's about having a good life, a fulfilling life that goes beyond what you have, what you own, and what you desire. It's really about being fulfilled in Christ. But can I just tell you something really practically? And this is, you know, some of you are really overly spiritual, and you're thinking, oh, just, just tell me another Bible story. This is the Bible. Because a lot of the reason that people don't move forward in their faith, don't grow in Jesus, don't enjoy life and think that spiritual life is a bunch of baloney is because they don't live the biblical principles and they don't follow the biblical precepts and do it God's way. They take an exacto knife to it and they say, oh, I want to receive Jesus, but I don't want to do this and I don't want to do that. I don't want to do this and I want to live this way. And, I don't want to do that, yeah, yeah. and then they expect to have this life that Jesus says is fulfilling, will fill you to the full of Jesus. I suppose one of, the greatest, um, one, of the, one of the greatest compliments I received was from one of my sons who said this, Dad, I want a life like yours. And I knew what he meant. He meant the home. He meant the marriage. He meant probably a little bit of the esteem and the worth and, and the values. The reason it meant so much to me is because Obviously, this son was with me for about 99.9% .9 of his life. And so he saw not only what everybody else sees, but he grew up, with, up within it to see what he saw up close and personal. I looked at him, and this is what I said. I said, son, if you want to have what I have, the best advice I can give you is to do what I do. And I basically said this, 
It is doing the best that you can to live on the basis of God's ways. While I don't do that perfectly, I endeavor to do that to the best of my ability. And as I get into this series, that's what I, as I continue with this series, loved ones, I can't say it any clearer. If you want God's best for you, you have to do it God's ways. There's just no shortcut. And we think we can fudge and fool, but you really can't. And I told somebody this last week, um, I said, you know, you know, I, I have a lot of, you know, good stuff in my life. And I don't mean stuff, stuff, because I'm, I'm always trying to minimize that. But I haven't always been where I am today. As a matter of fact, for a lot of years, I struggled. But as the Blomquist said, I didn't, I didn't want to cut, uh, take shortcuts because I knew eventually God's word is true, and it is. And that's one of the best things that I can share with you today and as we move into maybe some of the harder talks that we're going to get into. So this is our third talk. First week, we talked about how money talks, and it says, serve me. And Jesus warns us that money is a great tool, but it's a lousy God. Second week, last week, we talked how money talks, and it shouts, spend me. And our biggest problem really isn't in our, uh, is in our spending. We're a nation of spenders. As someone said, we are people who want to buy things we don't need with the money we don't have so we can impress the people we don't care about. So we need to learn to spend less or get a job that makes more. I mean, that, that's, it's that simple. Today, I want to talk about what the Bible says about debt because here's the point. God wants you free Listen, in every area of your life, Jesus said, I come that you would be free. And he says the way to freedom is to know the truth because the truth will set you free. A lot of times we just think, oh, Jesus comes to make us free. No! He says when you know the truth and you do the truth, then you get free. And that's in every area of your life. But it's especially true in this area. So money talks. Today, what does it say? It begs, free me. It wants to be free because God says, I want you to be free. The easiest thing to do with money is spend it. Let me tell you what the hardest thing to do is. It's to get out of debt. And that's why our cash says, free me. I mean, just listen to the language of the Bible. Proverbs 22, 7 says this. The rich rule over the poor. The borrower is the servant to the lender. You're in bondage. You're bound to another. They own a piece of you. They own a part of you. If you don't pay back, guess what they're going to do? They're going to take back. You are no longer free to do with your money what you want to do with it when you're heavily, heavily in debt. Let me give you just some debt synonyms looked up. It means to owe, to be obligated, to be in deficit, insolvent, encumbered, in over one's head, having a wolf at your door, living hand to mouth, having seen better days, unable to make ends meet, broke, beaten down. If you knew that, if that's the kind of language you got in credit card uh, statements, we would be less inclined to use them, wouldn't we? And that's ultimately what happens. And just, I'll just tell, I've been there, I've done that. So I'm not speaking out of someone that's just got this kind of financial acumen that's never made significant mistakes. J. Reuben Clark said this about debt. Once you're in debt, interest becomes your companion every minute of the day and night, and it's working against you. It has no love. It has no sympathy. It is hard and soulless as a granite cliff, and you cannot dismiss it. When you get in its way or cross its course or fail to meet its demands, it will crush you. But still, it's a product. Like I said, one year, two, over uh, 245 uh, solicitations because they're selling it. They're selling it to all of us in huge quantities. And the reason this becomes so important, loved ones, is because I would be willing to bet, based on the national average, there's a fairly significant amount, a percentage of people in here that as I'm talking about this right now, you're thinking, oh, if we only knew, if, if, if anybody only knew. I want to encourage you today. I want to challenge you. 
2016, one year alone, 2004, MasterCard, Visa, American Express, Discover spent advertising uh, solicitations to get new people in and just on the TV, uh, uh, $567 million. Why are they spending millions and millions on cards? Because they know they will earn it back on interest. Most homes receive an average of five credit card offers per month. 177 million Americans had credit cards in 2008. One in seven had more than 10 cards. The average cards in a household is 3.5. A high percentage of people say their cards are at or near their limit. The average credit card debt among households with credit card debt is $14,750. That's scary, isn't it? And you wonder why our economy in, the Ameri- in, in, in America is just always teetering. Well, let me give you some signs to consider if maybe you're a little beyond what you should be. If you're banking on credit as opposed to cash. Well, Pastor, are, are you saying that I can't use credit? No, 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 no. I'm not saying that here this morning. I'd, I'd be hypocritical. I use my card. There are times when debt may be acceptable. For example, purchasing a property uh, such as land or a home that you need for something or getting an education, starting a business. There's those times when you're using debt that will produce value down the road for your future. But always do this, buyer beware. Do your due diligence. Don't let it be an extravagant purchase. Don't let it be beyond what you can do. Don't let it be... This thing i got to do right now. Do your due diligence. Think about it. Plan ahead. Here's some key things if you're in trouble. Number one, if uh, the, the reason some people get in trouble is there's a lack of com- uh, contentment. Listen to what Philippians chapter 4 says. Philippians chapter 4. If you brought your Bible, turn there. I'd ask you a couple weeks ago for this year, start bringing your Bible. We're going to do a study in the Gospel of Mark, and I want you to follow along with us. Philippians 4 chapter uh, 4, 11, says this. <clears throat> I don't say this out of need. Paul is talking to the church at Philippi who was giving to him and supporting him and other missionaries. And he's writing and, and talking about a church that they were going to support and some people in Macedonia. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know both now how to have a little and I know how to have a lot. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or well-hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Still, you did well by sharing with me in my hardship. See, we pull that scripture out of there. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Don't extract it. It's a unilateral principle. It's true. You can do a lot of things in Christ. But hear me. The context is giving. I can learn to be content, whether a lot or less, because Christ is at work in me. And I'm giving and I'm sharing. But a lack of contentment comes. And Paul says, I have, underscore the word, learn. See, that's the problem. Most of us don't learn to be content. We don't force ourselves. We don't train ourselves. And then we wonder, oh, it's just, oh, I got a spending problem. This is a learned position, loved ones. It does, there, there's some people, listen, there's some people that have a natural acumen to say, you know something, I can take care of my money. There's a probably, I don't know, 25, 30% of the people, there's some of you in here, you just learned that. But for most, you, you, if you don't learn it, get some help, you, 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 you won't ever do it. And then we just keep using the excuse, well, you know, I'm just a fender. <laughs> well, no, that's not the way God works. Whenever you have an issue in your life, God says, I've given you everything pertaining to life and godliness, 2 Peter chapter 1. And he wants us to grow in those things because the promise of a fulfilling life doesn't happen if we're not working with him and cooperating with what he wants to do in us and through us. Does that make sense to you? Because some of us really need to hear that. 
some of us could just come to Jesus and we just think he's just going to pull this magic lever and boom, my life's going to be perfect. I mean, I came to Jesus. Isn't that what they say on TV? And isn't that what everybody else says? Um, you know, I haven't found that to be true. I sure found it to be good. But I sure found that I have to work with the Lord. So a lack of contentment. How about a lack of trust? Philippians 4.19 says this. Here's another passage that we like to extract out of its context. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Amen. Put it back in its context. You know why Paul says that? He says because you're giving, God's going to meet your need. That's what it's about. He says, don't, don't worry. Have trust in God because you're doing it. He's going to make sure you're taken care of. Not your wants, but he's going to supply every need that you have. Let me just quickly read a passage about trust. You see, again, I don't want you to think that this is like pie in the sky, um, you know, that you know, this is just so easy to do. Because there's a great story that has to do with this whole trust thing. In the Bible. Remember King David? King David, God raises him up. Scripture says he's a man after God's own heart. He's one of the greatest men in the Bible. I love David because in the midst of all his failures and foibles and failures and fallouts and just junk stuff in his life, God still says, I love that man. He's after my heart. Now, David has everything. He's a king. He should have been out working, but instead of working, he's relaxing. He's out on his little veranda. And all of a sudden, he sees this hot, bodacious, beautiful babe by the name of Bathsheba. And he's checking her out. And pretty soon, man, the, the juices start to flow. And he sets it up, and he brings her to him. And because he's the king, he can have anybody. And he brings her in. They uh, have a little dalliance. We call it sin. And after that, she gets pregnant. And then he's got to cover up because he's got to kill her husband. And just a mess, big mess, bad mess. But there's an interesting thing. After time passes, he's tried so hard to cover it up. There's a prophet by the name of Nathan. Comes to God, speaks to him and says, you go confront David with this. I can't have a man who's leading my people living this way. Nathan confronts David. I mean, he's got, you know, this is a good opportunity. He's a prophet. But David could have had his head whacked off. But he goes and does what God says. Now, this is what he says when he confronts David. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 7 through 9. It says, Nathan replied to David. After he tells him this parable to see if he'll cop it, David gets mad because Nathan is telling a parable about him. And David goes, are you kidding me? Kill him. And Nathan looks at him and he goes, uh, David, you're the man. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of, the Saul, of, of the hand of Saul all these years. I get this. I gave you your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. Was that not enough? See, the more and more and not enough has been going on for, 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 uh, for millennia. says, and if that was not enough, God's saying this, I would have given you even more. See, David didn't even trust God at times. He had to fill his own desires, his own wants. And that's where so many people, loved ones, they don't trust God to provide for them their wants. When God says, let me get your needs first. Let me just take care of you. Would you just trust me? So God sends this prophet, speaks to him. says, listen, God was going to give you, God will give you more than you ever desired. Just trust him. You may not get it today. You might, not, you might be 20 years. But if you do it right, God will take care of you. For some of us, it might be a lack of self-discipline. Galatians 5, and 23 says this, that this delicious fruit of the Spirit that God brings to our life, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and... Self-control. This is interesting. Because, see, we say, well, you know what? I'm just going to make God the pilot of my car, my life. And God says, no, no, no. 
I come to give you life so that what? I want to give you control back under my guidance. And that's where people get mixed up. Oh, I'm just going to sit back. Oh, here you go, God. Take it over. And God's saying, no, 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 no. Here. You take it over. I'm going to show you what to do. And I'm now living in you through the presence of my Holy Spirit. And I'm going to give you the ability to live with self-control. Big difference. Because God's not going to do that for you, loved ones. See, someone has said that the sign of maturity is the ability to postpone pleasure. I believe this. It's also a key sign to spiritual growth. You can tell me all you want that you're growing spiritually and you're just loving Jesus and you can give me all the Bible verses, but if there aren't markers in your life that is showing it where your life is beginning to set up and align to this word, then can I just tell you something? You're just fooling yourself with spiritual verbiage. Our finances and our culture says it's normal to have what your neighbors have. It's normal to live at the level that your parents did that took them 25 years to reach. Let's just kind of get it on the table, especially those of you who are in high school or college or just out of college. Listen, the greatest thing you can do is learn to be content where you are now. This is a general truth that if you understand this, your life will go much better. You are going to be poor for a while. (laughs) And that's okay. Learn to build for your future. When I was a youth pastor at Lodi, we had the large, one of the largest churches in the denominations, and I had one of the largest youth groups. And there's five other full-time youth pastors in Northern California, open Bible churches. And somehow we got on the business, and, and um, I, didn't, I, I was like the, the, the fourth of five lowest paid, and my youth group was four times bigger than any of the others. Our church was the richest, and I... And, and, and I used to think, my gosh, why is that? That's not very fair. But when I took the job, Jim Plummer said this to me. He says, listen, if you come join my staff, there's two things that you can count on. Give it to me, buddy. And he says, number one, I'm not going to pay you a compliment. Because he says, for ministry, what you're going to find out is for every compliment you get, there's other people sticking you behind the back. And I'm kind of really naive, and I go, oh, okay. Second thing is, I'm not going to pay you well. Because I don't want you to get comfortable here, so you just kind of live off the land. Because when you have to go out and take a small church, or plant a church, or whatever you're going to do, you're gonna, you'll never do it and move in faith, because you're so comfortable here making a good salary. Can I tell you something? He lived out both of those. I take it back. He did give me one compliment one time. The day that I, the day that I left that church, this my last Sunday there, I did not know if he liked me. But in the end, those were some great lessons that have helped me come this far. One of the decisions that I had to make in coming here, one of the, it was the first time in Trina's in my life that we, had the, that we were actually making enough money to be able to buy something and not get hand-me-downs from church people. And I said, honey, are you ready to leave this that we've now enjoyed for the last year to go do that thing again? She swallowed hard and said, no way. <laughs> and uh, no, she didn't. She, uh, she said yes. And see, that's, there's just lessons, loved ones, that we have to learn in self-discipline. And control. Has anyone ever been impulsive with instant gratification? Where you bought something that you just knew you shouldn't have? You know, a guy, you know, it's like the guy that, you know, he graduates from college, has thousands and thousands of, of dollars in debt, but he's tired of driving mom and dad's, you know, 1970 VW bug. So he, he saves up and he sees this 1999 Honda on eBay that he can pay cash for. And he goes, I'm going to do that. He says, I want to go check it out. So he goes into this dealer, and he goes to check it out. He drives up under the lot, and he sees all these nice new cars. And he's t- 
I've heard about this new car smell thing. And, and so he walks through, and then all of a sudden he sees this little silver sports car, one that he's really always dreamed and wanted. And by the time he gets to the old Honda Accord, he goes, oh my gosh, this is what I want. He takes it for a, a test drive. And all of a sudden, it's his dream car. And he sees on the right, as he's driving, he sees this, you know, this babe of choice right next to him. And, and the top is down, and the wind is blowing, and the wind is blowing through his hair. He looks over, it's blowing through her hair. And by the time he gets back, he says, I'll buy it. And now he's in debt, and within just a short time, he's broke, bemoaning it, and really upset that he made that purchase. See, friends, this is what maturity is. Now, I'm not just talking about personal maturity. I'm talking about spiritual maturity. It's being able to postpone pleasures and deal with the I want it now syndrome. And never forget, loved ones, God says he's given you this delicious fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. When everybody, when everybody says, I just can't be loving to this person or that person or whatever, I go, well, God already gave it to you. Oh, I can't, I can't be in control. Why not? Now hear me, maybe some of us need to get some help, but get help. Because God says, this is what I've given you. So some issues to be concerned about. Number one, if your outgo exceeds your income... Ultimately, your upkeep is going to be your downfall. That's the bottom line of everything I'm talking about, loved ones. So financial stability, if you want to know if you're in trouble or you've got some issues to be concerned about, the first one is this, is you have financial instability by making minimum payments. This is Finances 101, and we're going to see Jane pay in just a second. When you save, you make interest work for you. My dear friend who has helped me with my finances for the last 22 years drilled this deep to help me understand it. It's called compounding interest. But when you are in debt, as I read the quote earlier, compounding interest is always working against you. Time is your friend, loved one. It's pretty simple. So let me give you the power of negative credit interest, and a little bit later I'll give you the power of positive credit interest. Jane is a 25-year-old businesswoman. I'm going to work with some figures, and you're going to, you, know, you can take them apart and go, well, you know, uh, you're not going to get that high of interest way. I'm just rounding up just to give you an idea. You might be able to get more. You probably oftentimes get less, but just work with me on this. So this woman, she's got a $3,000 balance on her credit card, and she wants to pay it off with monthly minimum payments. But she's not going to build any more debt into it, just pay that off. The 3000 debt on the card is on a card with an average interest rate of 18%, which is probably pretty normal if you don't have a good, good, good credit record. And the minimum payment on an unpaid balance averages about 2% of the balance each month. That's pretty small. So how long would it take Jane to pay off $3,000 with minimum payments? She didn't add anything else to it. How long? 20, 27, 28, 50, yeah, let's shoot high. Well, let me give it to you straight, because you're all, you know, at least you're thinking, 37 years and seven months, and she'd be 62. Started that at 25. She doesn't add credit to it, just makes the minimum payment. How much would Jane pay with those minimum payments? She'd end up paying a total of $10,931, and she'd be paying $7,000, a little over $7,000 for a $3,000 balance. See what I'm saying? And you say, well, Pastor, this is really practical. It is, because a lot of us just get practically in trouble because some of us really don't understand how this thing works. So think now what happens if Jane, she's 25, and she's got this kind of uh, financial mentality, and she's going to take that into a relationship with somebody that she wants to marry. See, money affects relationships. I won't even ask for a show of hands, but if I ask, I know. There's people in this room. It used to affect Trina and I. There's two things that really affected our relationship for a number of years. Number one, it was finances, and number two, it was the discipline of our kids. Because finances, it, it, it's, you know, we all have our ideas. And it will affect your relationship if somebody doesn't have the courage to lovingly lead in it and through it. I'm not talking about being cheap, men or women. I'm talking about being frugal and smart. I love this sign that hung in an Alaskan store. It said this, you ask for credit, we don't 
give you. You get mad. We give you credit, you don't pay, we get mad. Better, you get mad. <laughs> so if you're making a lot of minimum payments on your credit card, friends, you've probably got some issues financially. Secondly, if you're unable to save or give. If you can't do these to some degree, starting out at some place, you're probably spending way too much. Some of you, you a, a lot of Creeksiders, you're going to get your financial statement of your giving uh, this coming week. As your pastor, I lovingly, this isn't about Creekside. I've said it every week, and, and I forgot to say this at the beginning. If you're a guest here today and you think this is about Creekside, um, go, go listen to the first two uh, introductions that I did so that you don't have any thought that this is about Creekside, okay? That crab, that crab feed fundraiser, you know, that's not to put money in the coffers of Creekside. That's to give away, so just, just so you know. But if you can't give and you can't save, take that statement. And I, I challenge you, especially men. I'll challenge the men of this church. You take that statement that you're going to receive this week, and you look at it, and you go, was I honorable before God with this? And just sit down. Because it may cause you to have to do some things that I got to do with my wife a number of years ago. Honey, we've got to make some changes. And even a major change that we even made just this year that we're talking about how we're going to do it, I'll tell you in a minute. But men, this is an area where if you're the main breadwinner, you've got to be leading in this area. You've got to be courageous. I, you know, well, you know, I've got to sleep with her. Well, you know what? She's got to sleep with you too. Love her and lead So if you're unable to give and to save, you'll be in trouble. Malachi says, well, a man robbed God, yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rub God? You're not giving tithe and offering, he says. Saving is serious business, loved ones. People think God only wants us to give, 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 give. No, he doesn't want you to be in debt. He doesn't want God to be your money. And he wants you to save for your future. The scriptures in the Bible, there's many of them. I'm not giving them all to you, but there's a lot of them. He is not just concerned that you bring money and give, give, give. He is concerned about your life and your present and your future. Proverbs 21.20 says, In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil. It means this person is saving up the currency of that day, the things that they would use not only to live on but to barter and to exchange. But a foolish man devours all he has. Another issue that might be a concern for some, the get-rich-quick ideas. Proverbs 23, 4 says, don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. You've got to be wise to do that, loved ones. Listen, you know, there's a few. I've never met a lottery winner or someone that got a big inheritance that I know of, but I shared a uh, week before last how oftentimes the people that get that suddenly within a short amount of time Three to ten years, they end up in worse shape than before they actually received the lottery winnings or whatever. That's hard to believe. Most of us, they think, oh, I can't believe it. But you see, I believe if, if we really believe that, that wealth comes from God, it's because he really, there's two ways you get wealth. Number one, there are some people afar from God who just have an acumen for finances. And some of us get blessed because we do it right under the, 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 the umbrella of God's plan. I don't discount that the, that, the, that the first one isn't true. But one of, the, one of the biggest issues that some people have to do, not many, but have to do in their life, is deal with get-rich-quick schemes because it always leads to problems. I'm going to just be really kind of personal here for a second in two areas. The first one, um, don't, don't send me any emails uh, because if, if this is a conviction with you, I totally, I'll understand, but, but don't judge me for it. Um, I, I started watching this show because I'd heard so much about it. It's called Breaking Bad. And um, literally, I watched five seasons in six weeks. And, uh, well, it was only like two years. I mean, two seasons. I think only had eight episodes, and then they had like 14 after that. But it's still a lot. And I watched it on Netflix, so I didn't have to deal with commercials. So there you go. And still kept my devotional life up. Okay. 
But other than the, 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 first, the first show, kind of, you know, it's got some risque scenes. But more, um, through most of it, it's just a, you know, it's not bad. But it's a story about a, just this, this simple uh, teacher, uh, high school uh, chemistry teacher who um, gets cancer and quickly realizes that on his salary, he ain't going to be able to, you know, cover his bills and take care of his family. So he realizes through some turn of events that he can make the best meth in the state of New Mexico and anywhere. And so, you know what he does? He gets into this with one of his former students. It's a whole long story, but, the, the, but, but it's a great illustration. Because well, the reason the, the, the show was so good for me personally is because I love the moral, the moral plays in it. Because one minute you're che- almost cheering for this guy, and then the next minute you're going, wow, what a louse. Because what you see is he's trying to get rich quick to take care of himself. And the more he gets into it, the more the money becomes important, not just taking care of his cancer and his family. Because there came a point when he could do that. But then his ego and his pride got involved. And now it's about being the best meth dealer around and making more and making more and making more. See, trying to get rich quick will always cause you troubles. And there will be collateral issues around you. My daddy, I told you about him last week, and hear me. I'm not trying to stomp on his grave. I, I loved my dad. We were not close, but we were not distant, okay? I, I loved him. We just, we, we, were, we were in really literally separate worlds. And I learned as a high school student, as I watched him and listened to him, this is what I learned. I learned the difference between a dreamer and dreams. My dad was a dreamer. You know what a dreamer is? A dreamer is someone who talks about what they want to do, what they're going to do, what they believe is going to happen in their life. And they might even read about it. They might talk to people about it. They might go to meetings about it. But guess what? They never do it. See, it's great to have financial dreams, but you better, you've got to put some blue denim on and you've got to work. My dad never worked. I mean, he worked at a job. But after he lost that because of what I said last week, he just had, he was a dreamer. And he just sat at a computer and talked big. But nothing ever changed. Nothing ever happened. He died broke. And he died not even working. He was a dreamer. And I just want to challenge you, loved ones, when they say there's not a lot of free lunches in this life, it's really true. And, and I don't, you know, the only free lunch you get is when you come to Jesus and he says, here's my life, receive it. But then, you know, and, I, and, and people disagree with this. I don't care. But once you come to Jesus, everything else costs. If you want to grow as a Christ follower, if you want to have the character that you see in other people, it's going to cost you. It means saying no here, no there, yes here. Yes, there, recalibrating your schedule, your checkbook, whatever it is. There's a cost. And you will only see your dreams fulfilled when you put on the denim of work and get after it and pursue it the way God calls you to. There is no get-rich-quick scheme here unless you win the lottery or you get a wonderful inheritance or you break bad. And I don't recommend that. So free me. Let's plan. What do you got to do? What do you got to do to get free in this whole thing? Okay, those are the issues. I should, you, you know where you are. How do I get free? Well, this is what you do. You plan the work and you work the plan. And there's no other way to have this is the This is the genes part. This is the denim part, loved ones. Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead to profit. As surely as haste leads to poverty. If you want to get out of debt... And everybody should. You need to make a decision. Then you've got to make a plan, and then you've got to tar- start taking small steps. If you don't, if you only talk about it, you are simply a dreamer. This is not brain surgery, but it will take some plastic surgery. Speaking of plastic surgery, and I, I, I don't know, I hope, uh, oh man, I hope I don't offend anybody. Someone in staff goes, well, what if? And I go, well, I don't know if anybody's had plastic surgery in here, so you're, you're, you're clear, so just give me some grace here. But I was thinking about plastic surgery. There's good plastic surgery and there's bad, isn't there? Let me show you a few. Here's the good. 
There's Jennifer Lopez. Wow. Woo. Sweet. Oh, Kim Kardashian. Eh, not much difference, but, you know, might be a little improvement. Uh, That's good. Next. Who's next? Sharon Osbourne. Yeah. Yeah. She's come a little, you know, older age hottie there. You got to like that. She's, uh, She's pretty. Let's see. Is there another good one? Oh, this is the not so good, okay? This is Donna Versace, and you can see, um, I, I don't know if her picture was used for the Joker in the latest Batman, I don't know, but um, I, I'm sorry, forgive me. That's not very nice. Okay, let's, here's another not so good. Yeah, Bruce Jenner, ah, you know, he was a really good looking athletic guy, and I think he tried to you know, keep his age, and he probably would have been much better looking. That's another one. Yeah, Joan Rivers, we all know her. A little too tight there, hard to talk. Um, Lindsay Lohan, I'm not sure what happened there, but not good. Here is some, oh, let's go to the next one. I've got any more I want to make sure. Oh, the downright scary. Carrot top. Yeah, you don't want to wake up next to that. And there's Mickey Rourke. You know, man, he started out so good, and whoo. Yeah, Catwoman. Now, you want to tell me that he'd grown up that you didn't think she was like one of the most pretty women in the whole wide world if you watched Batman, you know, the Boof Pow, Adam West one. Let me see. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's Michael. That's pretty sad. Pretty sad. And then, yeah, Daryl Hannah. Hard to believe, huh? Yeah, yeah, she was a babe, but uh, not so much. Okay, I'm sorry, lest I digress. This is not... This is not brain surgery for most of us, but a lot of us may have to head to some plastic surgery. Listen, you can't get out of debt until you stop going into debt. And for those who lack some self-control, that will, may mean plastic surgery, cutting up your credit cards, cutting them up and not getting new ones. And you may have to become accountable to your spouse. You may need to become accountable maybe to some close friends that have some financial acumen that can help you. Now, hear me. I'll cast a little vision right here. Our, our growth groups, we, we want to build these. I'm looking. If, if, if God leads you to do this, I would love to have us come back, and I'll talk about Dave Ramsey in a second, but I'd love to have a couple of growth groups that people could be involved in so they could come and get help with their finances because there's some great principles that anybody can do. You don't have to go the full-fledged way that Dave Ramsey goes, but at least to get you started. And if there's anybody in here that says, you know something, Pastor? God's been speaking to me about that, or I've got some, I could help people with with that. Let me know. But some of us may have to cut them up. I read a statistic that the use of credit cards will cause a family. Uh, Ron Blue, a financial Christian um, financial advisor, He said that families that use credit cards will use about 34% more regardless of whether they pay the statement in full or pay it off each month or they let it ride. So as a Christian financial person, Ron Blue, he read that figure and he found it hard to believe, so he tested it out. For the next year, he and his wife retired their credit cards and paid cash for everything. The result was, he said, and he's a guy that keeps close track of it, he said the next year what we found out is we spent 33% less because we used cash. You see, when you tend to buy impulsively, it is nothing to just throw this thing down. And as I said last week, some of you probably got your Christmas bills this last week, and you're thinking, oh, my goodness. It's just easier, isn't it? As Trina and I have been talking, we're talking about our financial plan for 2014. One of the things that I realized as I've been looking over our getting ready for taxes and everything is for the first time this last year, uh, we used to have an ATM card that wasn't a Visa debit. It was just an ATM card. And then when we changed banks, we got an ATM Visa. I realized that we spent a lot more using our ATM debit Visa. I'm not talking about charging. I'm just talking about general buying than we have in years. And I said, honey, what we're going to do is I'm going to start giving you cash. We're going to do it that way. I'm going to go off cash. Because we're spending, it's just easy. Plastic is just so convenient. Even though you go, oh, it's coming out of my banking account. It's not going on to a charge. It's easy. And you have to be ruthless in how you deal with these things, loved ones. 
Again, I'm not saying credit cards are bad unless you can't handle them and they handle you. They can be a helpful tool if you master them, but they will become a deadly demonic master if they master you. So secondly, get, get, get some plastic surgery. The second thing is cut back to pay off. Psalm 37, 21 says this, the wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. That, listen, if, if the church did and could and would do what they are supposed to do, our culture would be in a lot better shape. Instead of looking to all the government subsidies, the church could be a lot stronger force in this because that's what God calls the righteous to do, those in a relationship with Jesus, to be generous. Hear me, to borrow and not repay is to be wicked. It's the, it's, it's the opposite of being righteous. And it's amazing to me how many think they can do that. Oh, I'm just going to write it off. I'm just going to walk away without hardly even a thought. It's stealing, not to mention it ultimately begins to affect loved ones, our self-esteem. And the testimony of Christ. Oh, here's another Christian. You know, they got that little cross on their credit card. Credit card. Or you call them. Hi, I'm a Christian. Give me more time. Who cares? Pay your bills. See, this is not necessarily a fun message to preach. Because most of you are going to either go, amen, brother, preach it. Because you're out of debt and doing good. Or some of you are going to go, I just wanted to hear about Jesus today. <laughs> can, I, can I tell you something? You are. You're hearing about being a testimony for Jesus. Because he said, I think it was in Matthew 12 or Mark 12. He said, listen, friends, pay your taxes. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Jesus is very... See, we forget Jesus. He wasn't this mystical guy that walked two feet off the ground. He was as practical as it could be. Romans 13.8 says this, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Again, repay debts... The only debt that we can't repay is our debt of love to one another. And that deficit should be continually growing. So what you got to do is you got to make up a schedule, a debt repayment. Then you got to stick to it. Let me give you a couple of quick ideas. First one's from Dave Ramsey. Some of you remember going through that. It's called the snowball plan. Remember, it's like write down every credit card that you've got, every bill that you have that is, that is a compound interest type thing, credit cards or payment plans. Write them down and start with the, with, the, with the smallest one. And throw everything you can at that while you're making minimum payments on the others. And then get that one paid off. And then let's say you were throwing $50 a month on that one to get it paid off as quickly as you can. Take that money and then go to the next lowest one to get that one paid off. So see, pretty soon, and then once you get that one paid off, then you take all the money you were throwing there to the next one to get it paid off. And then pretty soon you got this snowballing effect. So what may have started out with twenty-five or thirty dollars to the first one, now it might be two hundred or three hundred dollars to the fourth one. But it's snowballing, and then pretty soon you discipline yourself to simply pay it off, and it's called the snowball effect. Second, pre-commit any extra income or extra amounts in your budget to debt reducement or repayment. If you get a raise, a bonus, a tax return, throw it at the debt. Now hear me, this is another uh, uh, point that my financial advisor and friend told me. Have a a little money in there that you can have fun with. But hear me, we're talking not Ruth Chris, more like Taco Bell, okay? But go have fun. Just go have fun. But live on a beer budget, not a champagne budget, okay? 
because he told me, he said, listen, Terry, as, as I was working on some things a number of years ago, he said, you've got to have some reward in there. Because once I set my goal, I said, oh, no, I'm blah, blah, blah. No, 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 cool your jets. Come on, put the flaps up a little bit. Have a little fun. Otherwise, you'll get really rigid. Third thing is you might also consider selling some assets that you have to pay off your debt. Most of us have way too much stuff. And maybe there's things that you could sell. Fourth thing is try to reduce your interest rates. Call your credit card company. Call your credit card company and say, listen, I am making a commitment to pay this off. It's either that or I'll run from it. No, don't do that. But um, call them. And you know what? A lot of times they'll change it for you if they know you're sincere. And you can just, say, well, you talk to a regular person. I want to talk to your supervisor. Climb the ladder a little bit. Tell them this is what I want to do. And if you don't, then you can kind of threaten and say, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close this thing and then I'm going to... Uh, and I'm going to pay it off, and you're not going to have my business anymore. And, and a lot of times, they'll work with you. The key, loved ones, is get out of debt. Now, let me show you the power of positive credit interest and let it and see it as your friend, not your enemy. I want to take a little different run now at Jane's wife. Jane is still 25 years old. She's a businesswoman. Instead of $3,000 on her credit card, she puts it into savings like in a good IRA or mutual fund that, again, you can... And say, well, they'll never get 10%, or you might get more, you might get less. But just work with me. The idea is the principle is still the same. So let's say she gets 10% interest. She left it growing for the same amount of time, 37 years and six months, and her, didn't have any credit card repayment like we talked about. How much would Jane have at the end of the same period on her $3,000 investment? See the power of compounding interest? Oh, by the way, she's 62 then, and she's looking forward to retiring on just that one, not on that one account, but with that one major account. So those of you who are 25 or 20 or 19 or 18, start planning. I wish somebody would have challenged me and gotten in my grill to do this. The last thing on this part is simply this. Reboot your financial future. Talked about this in week two. We are a nation of spenders. We've got to become plan spenders, not impulse spenders. We've got to spend less than we earn. We've got to buy only what we need and can afford. A budget is, is, is an important document it's a statement that says, I'm going to be in control of my life. So when you create a budget, here's how you break it down. You give to God first. You give to taxes. You give to debt retirement. You save for the future, even if it's only $20 a month. Would you start somewhere? Get in the habit. And then spending, your spendable income is simply what you have your discretionary income. Why is spending last? Because our lifestyle really is discretionary. There's so many things we don't have to do, but we think we need to do. Don't live like the average family whose ambition is to make as much money as they're spending. And, and let, me, let me say this. Debt is seldom the real problem, but it's symptomatic or systemic to something deeper in one's life. Maybe it's pride. I want people to see. I got a friend that used to wear a Rolex watch. I said, how in the world did you afford that? Oh, it's a knockoff. I got it for 30 bucks. Like, you don't think people are going to know that? Is your image that important? That people are going to go, oh yeah, Rolex. Maybe some of us have a little envy in us and we want to try and keep up with everybody. Maybe there's a little greed in there that says, I want more. Maybe there's a lack of self-image that you really haven't dealt with before Jesus. Maybe there's just immaturity. Or maybe you're a little bit impulsive and you lack self-control. Some of us may need to say today as an important next step, God, I need help with this stuff because the stuff has great control over me. And it's brought me to a place in my life where I am in deep weeds and a big mess. 
I don't have a great plan, but I will set up a plan, God. But I need your help. And you know what God says? I will be with you every step of the way to help you build contentment and to build discipline. But you've got to make the first step and the first move. And then you've got to say, God, when you begin to help me, I commit to walking free in this. Friends, God wants to help you do that. God can help you do that, and God will help you do that. And some of you may need to find a friend that you trust and be open with that can help hold you accountable. This is the last thing. Spiritual or secular? Pastor, this sounds like a financial seminar. Okay. See, the reason, I'll say it again, the reason people oftentimes don't have spiritual success is because their heads are so spiritually minded and they think God's going to do everything for them that they forget to be a practical, live on earth, take care of life, be responsible kind of person. And my spirituality doesn't work that way. I believe in all the spiritual stuff, but I believe that the principles are things in here that not only are they really cool and do I get to learn them and memorize them and know that all things work together for good and my God will supply all of my needs, <laughs> but in the context of giving. See, loved ones, you've got to get really practical with your spiritual life. And if you don't, not much is going to happen. But here, here's the greatest debt of all. Listen to what Colossians 2 says. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of your legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, and he's nailed it to the cross. Loved ones, the biggest debt you have is your debt before God. Whatever anyone has done against you is small compared to what you have done against the Lord Jesus Christ. We all underestimate our sin and over-evaluate our goodness. I'm not that bad. But the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I don't care how good you are. Jesus said, my debt is so huge that you and I could never repay it before this living God. So what does the Heavenly Father does? He says, in His holiness, we couldn't go to Him on our own, so He sends His Son, Jesus Christ, to pay the biggest debt of humanity. It's so huge, we could never pay it off. That, that, that statement there in Colossians 2, the charge of your legal indebtedness, translated in a Greek word that's re, that means literally a handwritten IOU. Jesus took our IOU, our debt, that consisted of all of our sin and failures and foibles and rebellion and indifference and pride and self-centeredness. And Jesus said, give it to me. Nail it to the cross. And that's why he said these words, Father, Father, why dost thou forsake me? It's because Heavenly Father couldn't be around sin, and Jesus took the sins of you and me and humanity on himself. But then when Jesus died, some time later, some moments later, his last words on the cross were what? It is finished. And that's the Greek word that means teleostai. It's the idea that, guess what? Paid in full. Your sin. My sin. The world's sin. It has that word stamped across the bill of sin or IOU that hadn't been paid. Paid in full. You've been forgiven, loved ones. And if you're here today, I would challenge you to consider the claims of Christ for the debt of your life. What is your response? And this is for everyone. I hope your response is in grateful surrender where you declare, oh, Lord, not only is everything I have yours, but I owe you everything. I belong to you. Here is my life. <laughs> my stuff. My money. My kids. My spouse. 